0: My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and and I'm delighted to uh, get to share God's Word with you. And um, this morning, I want to start with one thing, with a match. For one match, growing up, that's all we got to start the campfire. There were no lighters. There were no butane torches. There was no Girl Scout juice, as we called it, which is lighter fluid. No, all we had was one match in the forest— to find all the necessary things we needed to start an amazing campfire. For my brother and I, we viewed it as a challenge, as a rite of passage to be able to start a match, to be able to start a fire with just one match. And the worst, the worst thing possible was having to go back to my dad for a second match. So my brother and I, we spent our time making sure that we gathered the best materials, and we built that fire just right. Over the years, we experimented with all kinds of different formations in the fire. We scoured the back forests of the Colorado mountains as we camped, finding just the right materials to make sure that we could develop that perfect fire. And no matter how much we tried, no matter how much we built it, we always came to that one point, that point of no return that moment when we got down on our knees and were ready to light that match. And I can always remember with my brother, we'd always think, did we get dry enough ingredients? Did we leave enough space in that fire for there to be enough air? Was it set up just right? And then we'd go, and we'd strike that match. And immediately as you hold that match, you would put your hand around it to make sure the wind didn't blow out that treasure of one match, and we would slowly lean into the fire and hit one spot and hit another and watch and sometimes blow and waiting to see that fire take off. And even to this day as a grown man, there's just something so cool and so exciting as that little match spreads to a raging campfire. The, message, the title of my message today is called Big Faith. It all started with a match. And just as my single match could start a raging campfire, I believe that our God can spark an amazing fire of faith in your heart and in my heart as well. And our God doesn't always start it with a raging fire like we want him to. Sometimes it starts with just one spark. One day, one decision, One step at a time. And as our faith grows, so does our ability to impact God's kingdom. Today's message is part of a brand new series that we're starting here. And it's a three-week series that we're calling Elisha's Big Faith. And I believe that every single one of us over these next three weeks are going to be challenged and are going to glean some very real, practical, faith-stretching perspectives by reflecting on the life of the prophet Elisha and his faith. Now when we hear the word Elisha, sometimes our ears automatically tune and think that we're hearing Elijah. For Elijah was the prophet, a great prophet in the Old Testament. He was bold. He was daring. He had amazing faith. And Elisha wanted to be just like his mentor, Elijah, so much so, as we'll see today, that he was bold enough. He was ridiculous enough to ask for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Now that is what I would call a big faith. In fact, when we look at Elisha and his whole life, we actually see in Scripture that he had more miracles recorded under his name than anyone else in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus. And if you want to kind of skip ahead, because I know there are a number of you that are overachievers here today, if you want to read 2 Kings chapter 2-13, through 13, you can cheat ahead and learn all you want about the prophet Elijah. But what's interesting to me about Elijah is he was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't this spiritual giant. He was an ordinary guy with an ordinary job doing an ordinary life when God came in and turned his life all around and had him do something extraordinary for him. And as I studied, as I prayed about this series that God's allowing me to share, I can't help but shake the fact that we need to have a faith just like Elijah And we need to allow that faith to rub off on each one of our hearts and each one of our lives. Because I truly believe that God has something extraordinary for you and for me when we're willing to step out in faith. So let me tell you where we're going to go over these next couple of weeks. Because you don't want to ever miss a Sunday here, but in particular, you don't want to miss next week. Because let me tell you why. Next week. We're going to look at the story of a widow who was desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been in that place where you're in tough times in your life and you're wondering, how am I going to get through? Well, that's exactly where this widow was. She was about to lose her two sons, and all she had to her name was one little jar of oil. And all this poor lady could see is everything that she didn't have. But God, through Elisha, is going to show her that she had everything that she needed to do everything that God wanted her to do. Next week, we're going to look at a big faith. And you know what? We already talked that there's going to be bacon on Father's Day. Gentlemen, that's enough to get me out of bed. So I hope that you're not going to miss Father's Day. First, you're going to eat some bacon, and then we're going to get the true word of God right afterwards. Because on Father's Day, we're going to look at the story of Elisha and Naaman. And how in our desire for more, we say that we'll do anything for God, but not that one thing. And through Naaman, we're going to see how God will change our perspective and our desires when we come to him in one way, how he'll twist that to fit his ways. Big faith in action. Let me tell you, you don't want to miss these next few weeks because I believe that God is going to grow not just your church, your faith, but our entire church's faith to a big type of faith. But as we jump into the text this morning, will you turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19? And let me give you some context as we look at a big faith with it all starting with a match. Elisha lived in the 9th century BC in a time when Israel was divided and there was great tension amongst the people. The people were worshiping a farce, false god named Baal. And God raised up this ordinary guy to do something absolutely extraordinary. So if you have your Bibles, First um, Kings chapter 19, it's on your outline, it's on your screen. Basically what I'm telling you is you can't miss it. Verse 19, here we go. So he departed from there, this would be Elijah, and he found Elisha, the son of Sapheth, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was, he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate, and they, then he arose, and he went after Elijah and assisted as I think about the text, the first part of there talks about how Elisha was plowing. And when I think about plowing, plowing is back, back-breaking work. It's hard. It's dirty. And I'm sure that at some point it becomes quite monotonous. I mean, think about it. What did Elisha have to look at each and every day? He looked at the backside of an oxen. He looked at oxen tails, oxen butts. I don't know if that's okay to say, but just in case you're having a hard time picturing it, let me let you see it right here. So he saw that every day. And if it wasn't that look, maybe it was this look here. But regardless, all he saw was the rear of an oxen. And with that perspective in mind, imagine what it smelled like to be a plow. He would have smelled oxen dung. Is that another bad word at church? I don't know, but I just said it. And so, uh, either way, plowing had to have been really hard. It had to have been really monotonous. In fact, listen to what one author said when describing what Elisha's like was life. Life was like. He said, every morning as Elisha steps into the slow crawl behind the plow, he's not just chasing oxen tails, he's chasing his own And now some of you that are here today, maybe you feel a little bit like Elisha. Now, you might not be following after oxen rears, but maybe just in your everyday life, it feels like as you do the same thing over and over and over again, that life has gotten monotonous. You're doing the same job with the same people, and you feel like you're staring at your own type of an oxen rear. Some of you, maybe you're in sales. And and you're busting, you're working so hard to make sure that you reach that quota. And the moment that you reach that quota, what happens? You start over again and try to reach that quota again and again. Or maybe in your workplace, you've been going through this project and you've been working so hard to meet the deadline. And what happens once you meet the deadline is another deadline comes. Or maybe you're a student here today, and and as students, maybe it felt like at some point in the school year, maybe for some of you it was the whole year, that you were stuck in the rut of monotony, where you study for a test, to take a test, to repeat it. Or what about teachers? You assign a paper, to grade the paper, to repeat it again, assign the paper, grade the paper, and it just felt like over and over and over again, you're stuck in this rut of monotony. What about this? Maybe yesterday you were mowing your yard and and by the end of the time, and you were out there sweating because it was so hot that at the end of the day, your yard looks absolutely beautiful. But next Saturday, when you come back, it will look exactly the way it was when you started yesterday. Or what about at home? What about moms that are here? Does it feel like just life becomes monotonous as you change diapers, you clean the house, you do dishes to change diapers, to do the dishes, to clean the house, to do laundry. It just repeats itself over and over. Do you ever get stuck in that rut of monotony? Because that rut of monotony, it goes beyond just things that we do. It also can happen to us spiritually as well. When we're just mindlessly plowing through our life, activities like Bible study and church attendance, they fall more into the I have to rather than the I get to category. And it spreads to other areas of our lives where we get stuck in the lifeless routine. Whatever your situation is, it becomes incredibly easy to lose your passion when all you see, when all you focus in on is whatever rocks rear it is that is in your life all day long. Look at the middle of verse 19. Listen to what it says. It says, Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Notice when you read the text there, nowhere does it say that this was Elisha's first day on the job. Nowhere does it say that he was just giving those oxen a test drive. No plowing was his lot in life at this point. Elisha spent his day after day plowing, being faithful with the task at hand. And although I'm sure it was quite monotonous at time, God blesses us when we're faithful with those little things, when we're faithful even in the monotony. When we're faithful in those little things, that's when our God will entrust us with greater things. And even though it might not have been his favorite thing to do, even though it could have been incredibly monotonous and I'm sure had to have been draining physically and emotionally, Elisha was faithful in what he had been called to do. And as we see in scripture, it was an ordinary day for Elisha, just like today is an ordinary day for you and for me when the predictable beat of an ordinary life was interrupted and everything changed like that. See, the interruptions in our lives, they don't happen in the way that we expect that they should, for God's interruptions rarely do. Elisha wasn't looking for a different kind of life. He was doing his best to live out the life that he thought he was supposed to live. But look at what happens in verse 19, the last part. It says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. In 11 simple words, Elijah's life was forever changed. Let me read them for you again. It recorded us saying, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. In that one sentence that we can easily skip over, summarized an absolute life-changing moment for Elisha. See, Elisha's cloak would have been made of a a coat with animal fur or skin. It was Elijah's covering. And what Elijah did is he took his covering and he put it on Elisha and he was symbolically saying, that which has covered me will now cover you. That which I have been under, you are now under. You are my student and I will be your mentor. As God has been working through me, now God will work through you as he put his covering on Elisha. So how does this story apply to us? What does this mean to us, this whole idea of big faith? If you have your outlines, if you could pull them out on the backside. my first fill-in that I have for you today is you don't underst- have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And I truly believe that there are a number of people that are here today that need to hear that, and not just hear it in your ears, but allow it to seep down into your heart. See, for Elisha, he didn't understand all that it entailed. All he knew was that God was speaking to him through the prophet Elijah, and he was going to follow after him at all costs. Look at verse 20. says, he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. Did you see anywhere in there that it said that Elisha needed to go and talk to his mentors? Did you see anywhere in there that Elijah needed to pause and go spend deliberate long time in prayer? Did a pastor just say he didn't need to pray? Hold on, wait a minute, did I hear that right? No, it's said that Elisha went after and followed him. Look on the other side with Elijah. Notice that Elijah wasn't stopping by and having coffee with him. He doesn't sit down and have a leisurely chat between the two of them, talking about the weather and the newest plowing techniques and, and just kind of gauge his interest. He doesn't ask Elisha if he's even happy with what he's doing. He doesn't dig deep and ask Elijah, What are your deepest, darkest secrets? He doesn't even ask Elijah, What did you dream of doing when you grew up? No. That's because Elijah didn't have to. For God had spoken to Elijah that Elisha's days of plowing were about to end, even though in that moment, Elisha had absolutely no And as we see in the text, Elisha was ready to go. Even though he didn't fully understand, he obeyed God's call immediately. I don't know how this applies to you. I don't know how this is resonating in your heart and in your mind or in the situation that you find yourself in today. But I believe that if you will have your heart and your life in a posture of spiritual readiness where you're prepared to take whatever step God is calling you to take, even if you don't understand all that God is calling you to do, you can be willing to take that step today or even in a year as the Holy Spirit stirs within you, when you have that posture and that heart of spiritual readiness. For our God doesn't always give us all of the details. And I believe that our God is strategically vague in his directions for a purpose but we're Americans, we have Google, we have smartphones, we have YouTube, and we think that if we're going to do something, we need to understand everything right now. And we demand, give me a Google map to get there, give me the whole plan, help me to understand all of it. And I believe our God would look at us with a smile on his face. And I think that he would say in just a, a tenderness saying, you can't handle all the details. I can't tell you everything that I'm going to do in your life because if I did, you probably wouldn't show up. He's just showing you the next step. For one step at a time, God grows and prepares us for the next opportunity to see our faith in action. And often the directions that our God gives us is through one word. Just one word is sometimes all that we need to be able to hear where God is leading us or directing us. Think about in the Old Testament. What one word could you summarize with what God gave to Moses over and over again? I would say the word go. Moses, go. Abraham, go. Go into the land that I'm leading you to go. What about in the New Testament when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water towards them? Peter, with all the audacity in the world, looks out and says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And what word did Jesus tell him? He said, come, come. And Peter, with all the faith in the world, says, Jesus, I'll come and takes that step. So what one faith word is our God giving you today. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you've been thinking about throwing in the towel and giving up on that relationship and on that past. And the one word that God is saying to you today is the word stay. Hold God to his promises that he is a healing God and that he can heal your relationship and he can restore your home. Maybe your one word today you need to hear is stay. Maybe the one word that you need to hear is the word trust. Maybe this last week or maybe you've been dealing with some health issues and you don't understand all that's going on and God keeps telling you over and over again, trust me. Maybe it's even with somebody that you love and he's saying trust that I hold this in the palm of my hand. Maybe you've wanted to start something new. Maybe you've heard that call to ministry and you're not exactly sure how it all comes together. And the one word that God is telling you is start. Take a step towards seeing that vision become a reality. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines. You've been coming here to church. You've been checking out this God thing. You've been asking questions and you've started to see him working in your life, but you're just not quite sure you want to take that step. And the one word that God keeps telling you over and over and over again is the word commit. Commit, get involved, trust in Jesus. Maybe you're one of my favorite people, um, church shoppers. And maybe you've been bouncing from church to church to church to church saying, "Will this have that secret thing that I've been looking for. And maybe the one word that God is telling you is a simple word and it's home your home. This can be your church home. Plant your roots here and allow God to use and grow you here in your new church home. Maybe the word has just been resonating in your heart and your mind over and over again, and you can't shake it. It's the word adopt or foster. And you start to rationalize. You say, well, I don't even know how I can come up with the money. Do I do domestic, international, boy, girl? What do I do with all of my other life? We're too old to do this. And yet over and over and over again, you hear the word adopt or foster. And God's saying, take a step and see where I'll meet you. Maybe you're on the other end of the equation. And if you were to be honest with yourself and you were to think about what all of the commands and the teachings and the expectation that God has through us, through his love letter to us, and if you were to be honest with yourself, you would have to say, you know what, maybe I haven't been living up to those standards. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and in your dating relationship, you have blown those boundaries out of the water and no longer could you be described as being sexually pure. And in your relationship, you're not honoring God. Maybe the one word that God is telling you today is stop. Stop. Maybe for you, maybe it's something that nobody else knows. It's something that happens behind the scenes. When nobody else can see you, maybe it's on your phone and the pictures you're looking at men are on the computer. Or maybe you started just with a glass of wine and now it's become where the bottle owns you. Maybe it's prescription drugs that started with there to be able just to help you and now they own you. Or maybe it's your eating habits. I don't know what it is, but what one word is God telling you today? Is it repent? Is it stop? Is it adopt? Is it trust? Is it commit? Is it home? Is it stay? What one word is God speaking to you in faith today? and even bigger than that one word, and just as important. What needs to change in your life that that one word can be lived out in faith today? My next thought that I have for you this morning is those that God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Those that God uses the most are those that hold on to the least. When Elisha's cloak landed on Elisha's shoulders, dense with destiny, Elisha did far more than run after Elijah. He made sure that he had nothing to run back to. Look at verse 21. So Elisha left him and he went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha and he became his servant. Let's talk about what happened there. Elisha destroys and feeds to his friends the animals that were his means for making a living. This seems so extreme to us with a modern American perspective. I mean, for us, whenever we're done with something, we think we can give it to goodwill, or at least he could have put a little pretty low, little bow on the oxen's head like this, and handed hand it over to his neighbors. But that's not what he did. Instead of putting a pretty little bow on his head like this, he cut those oxen up and he made steaks for all of his friends. See, culturally, Elisha lived in a society where ceremonial sacrifice, it was understood, it was accepted. So cooking that oxen as a celebration of his newfound calling, it wouldn't have necessarily been unprecedented. But the part that was unprecedented, the part that seemed ridiculous to those around him, was a part of burning the plowing equipment. Yet that's the part of the story that's so highly significant. For in essence, what Elisha was doing by burning the oxen and the plows is he was burning everything he had to run back to. And it might not have been for anyone else. It might have only been for himself. By making a statement, he was taking and making a decisive break from his old life from the source of his livelihood, from everything that represented the stability and the predictability of his stale old life so that he could go and carry out the call that God had put on his life. As I read that, God took me back to when I was called into ministry. I remember when I was first called into ministry now a long time ago, when I first came, I had my own plan B and C and D just in case this whole pastoring thing didn't work out. So while I was in college, I started a business, and and literally the business kind of took off. And so within the first year, I had dozens of accounts. I had 50 employees. And so what happened is, is I thought I would be content being a business person, living a generous life. And then as God does in a way that only God can do, he just penetrated my heart, and he made a giant mess of my plans and had a whole different plan. And what he did is he called me into ministry. In particular, he gave me an amazing heart for our students, for our high schoolers, and gave me the privilege to lead them. But as I stepped into ministry, as I came, I made sure to hold on to that plan B in that, well, you know what? Our employees were counting on us. I mean, I couldn't just leave them out in the cold just in case this thing doesn't work out. And what happened is over time, God started to change my heart, and he started to show me, Scott, I don't want you to flourish in the business world. I want you to flourish in the ministry world. And what happened is the industry started to change. I stopped renewing contracts. I started to take my amazing employees and set them up with other companies where they have greater opportunities to grow. And then all of a sudden, my plan B no longer was a viable plan B. For me, it took having to burn the plows to say, God, if you called me into ministry, I need to be 100% there, not 50-50 seeing which one might be better today. I had to be willing to give, let go of my plan B. So what about you? What's your plan B? What plow are you holding on to in your life and not willing to let go? Your plow might be the job that God has given you today, but it's not God's best. And you know it. But you hold on to it because it's comfortable and you don't want to know what else is out there. Maybe your plow is your bank account and God is calling you to live generous in a remarkable way, but you hold on to those dollars and cents because you think you earned every single one of them and forget that God entrusted you with all of it. What plans are you holding on to? What purposes have you said, this is my way, not God's way? And how is it holding you back from experiencing all that God has called you to do? See, God is calling you He's calling me to have a big type of faith. See, our big faith disrupts our plans and replaces them with God's plans. Big faith changes our desires and replaces them with God's desires. Elisha shows us that his big faith, by being willing to walk where God calls us, doesn't depend as much on having the right equipment as it does of having the faith to do whatever God is calling us to. do. For you can't step into a life of faith until you set fire to whatever it is that's tethering you to your old life. Before you go forward in this life that God has for you, you have to be willing to offer him not just those little comfortable parts, but you have to be willing to offer him everything that you have and all that you are. For if I could summarize our entire time together today, If I could summarize this entire series, big faith equals surrender. Big faith equals surrender. Friend, do you have the faith? Do you have the faith to burn the plows and see where God will take you? My last thought that I have for you this morning is this. You'll never know how God will meet you in your faith until you take that first step of faith. Fast forward just a few pages in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 2. And Elisha had been following Elijah for a number of years, and we're now at the end of the life of Elijah. Elijah knew that this would be the day that God was going to take him home. We don't have time today to cover all of the back and forth that went on between Elijah and Elisha. But it's absolutely remarkable to see as they traveled from Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. But the story comes to this climax in verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 2. And listen to what it says. Elijah said to Elisha, "Ask." what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah, I would add in there without hesitation, responds by saying, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. This is one of those moments that my wife and I talk about with our kids. The answer is always no unless you ask and there's a chance that it will be yes. And for Elisha, this was one of those moments for him that he was willing to lay it all out there and say, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Let me explain to you what he was not asking for. He was not asking for, let me be twice as powerful, twice as great as the great Elijah. Rather, he was asking in accordance with Deuteronomy chapter 21 to have a double portion. He was asking to be doubly blessed in his life. And in his ministry. And it's interesting that when you look at Scripture, Scripture records exactly twice as many miracles through Elisha at 28 as Elijah at 14. Friend, have you ever asked God to give you a double portion of faith? What step of faith do you need to take today? Today? For remember that you never know where God will meet you in your faith until you're willing to take that first step. What's holding you back in your pursuit of God? What needs to change in your life for you to be able to hold on to all of God's promises and take him with a big faith type of perspective in whatever way that he's nudging you towards today? What one faith word? What one faith word has God given you today? And even though you might not understand it fully, even though it might all not make sense yet, how is God calling you to obey immediately? What plow, what backup plan do you need to burn in your life and allow God to fill in with his faithfulness? For Elisha, he would have never known how God was going to match his big faith until he took that step of faith leaving his old way behind and experiencing the life that God had been preparing him for all the way up until that moment. Big faith, bigger God. How big is your faith and how much bigger is your God? Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every single one of us that are gathered here that, God, you will stretch our faith in a way that words cannot describe. I pray that, God, as a church, that we will be known as a faithful church, that, God, we will be known of a church that sees you being able to do immeasurably more than we could have ever asked or imagined. I pray that every single one of us here in this place, God, will have a big type of faith. And, God, I pray for those that are here today, that even as they sit here, They're skeptical. They lack faith. They've been burned. They've been hurt. Or God, they just don't know if they can trust you. Father, I pray for those people right now that you will stir in them in only a way that you can. That God, you will give them a word in only the way that you can that says, trust me. Father, I pray that for those that are lacking faith today, that God, you will show them how faithful you have been to them all the way up until this moment right now as we sit here. Father, I think of somebody here, even as you just are nudging me right now, that God has been sitting on the sidelines in their relationship with you, and they're ready to commit. They're ready for you to transform their life in in an amazing way. If that's you here today, even as the Holy Spirit's stirring in you, even if it doesn't make sense, and you don't even understand what a a whole thing of who God is, who Jesus is, how does this all stuff come together? But you just know without a shadow of a doubt that God is saying, just trust me, obey me. If that's you, it's nothing fancy, just repeat after me. Say, God, I I want to trust you. I want you to be in charge of my life. God, I want to turn over all the Things that I've done over to you. God, I want to experience your forgiveness. If you prayed a prayer, something like that, any words close to it, um, it's amazing that that God's word says that there is a celebration in heaven right now. There's a celebration of your life being forever changed. And if that's you today, I I, I tell you, come talk to me. Stop by our our, our next step center on the way out and, and talk to one of our deacons out there and say, hey, hey, I want to understand more about what it means to know Jesus but I also know there are many others here who have been walking in this pursuit of Jesus but have been caught in a a rut of monotony. And if that's you today, God has so much more for you. Whether you're holding onto that plow with both hands, whether you lack faith because you just don't want to get out of your comfort zone, God's calling every single one of us in different ways and different nudges to surrender, to allow Him to do amazing work in our hearts and our lives. So the question to you today is, are you willing to trust him? Do you have faith big enough to believe that God will meet you exactly where you're at? Let me tell you, as your friend, as your pastor, take that step and be ready to see where God meets you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, amen.